Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's start at the ending of this passage and then work our way back. Because in this portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a clear and particular point to be made. So let's start there, shall we? It's this. Jesus commands his followers to be agents of reconciliation. That's the core message of Jesus' teaching here. As children of God and as followers of Jesus, we are called to be agents of reconciliation. Not stokers of fire, not instigators of pain, and certainly not celebrants of division. See, it says it right there. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reconciliation precedes right worship. And to Jesus' audience in that moment, this was revolutionary. That there was something that you were supposed to do before offering your gift, which was the absolute pinnacle of right worship, of being in right relationship with God. The best gift that we could give to God is being reconciled to one another. The most significant gift that we could give to God is making up to those that we have a grievance to. And about that term reconciliation, and you're going to love this, if you look more closely at the Greek, we find out that reconciliation literally means making peace, which of course should remind us of the Beatitudes just moments ago in Jesus' sermon where he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Y'all, this is not a one-off kind of thing. This is not extracurricular. This is at the very core of Jesus' message. This is who and what we are to be. To be agents of reconciliation. 
There are two things that we need to hear in this very moment. One, whether we have been hurt or whether we are the cause of the hurt, we are to go and make it right. And also there is a sense of urgency about the reconciliation that we are to be a part of, that we are to inaugurate, that we are to help birth. And why? Well, Jesus shares the practical measure of reconciliation, and you'll see it there. There's a very practical measure to what Jesus is asking of us. If we do not seek reconciliation, we are going to pay for it. Why? Because we live in a litigious world, a world where our enemies are going to get us. That's how the world works. And Jesus knows this, which is why not only is reconciliation of God, but also it's just good practice. It will keep us out of prison. It will keep us above board. So Jesus tells us very clearly, if you're on your way to court, you better make up before you ever get there. Because if it gets to that point, it's going to get ugly. So not only... Does Jesus' teachings and commandments here mean that when we are peacemakers, we look like God? He's also telling us, y'all, this is just good everyday practice because the world will chew you up and spit you out. So make up and make up quickly. But it raises the question, why do we need reconciliation in the first place? Why do we need to be reconciled? Yeah, we need to be reconciled because our relationships have become toxic. If you insult a brother or sister, Jesus says, if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council, to the authorities. And if you say, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. Y'all, we're so quick to dismiss this commandment and teaching of Jesus because it's such a common occurrence. We we say terrible things about one another with such frequency that we don't think anything of it. Depending upon your translation, you may find that the word fool is translated or left in the original Aramaic. That is, Jesus warns us that if we call one another a fool, that we are liable to the hell of fire. Let me tell you a little bit about that Aramaic word racha. One, it just sounds mean, doesn't it? Racha. It sounds guttural and for good reason. In Aramaic, the word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses there is a word that means good for nothing. So Jesus is telling us, y'all, if you dehumanize one another, if you call one another by words that mean good for nothing, you are liable to the hell of fire. Now, if you're anything like me, you've heard this teaching all your life. And we have blithely ignored it. 
Jesus' point here is that when we damn people with our language and the way in which we describe them, we are participating in an act of violence. And it's fair. Perhaps you think that Jesus is exaggerating here. Good luck with that. Y'all, it's not the actual language, whether it's raka or fool or idiot. It's what's behind it. It's what's in our heart that's motivating it. The truth is, when we use derogatory, hate-filled language to describe others, we are exhorting power over them and abusing their status as children of God. Language has power. And the words that we use can be representative of fists that are clenched, that want to throw a punch. Think about what we do to justify the terrible language that we use with one another. Or that we justify is, is, is permissible or appropriate. Y'all, this is significant and serious. And we violate Jesus' commands when we choose to dehumanize one another with the language that we use to describe them. It's so important. It's why Jesus threatens us with hell because of it. So yeah, we need reconciliation because our relationships are broken. And our relationships are broken because we do not love our neighbor as ourselves. We are not loving our enemies as Jesus commands us. And why don't we love our neighbors? We don't love our neighbors because we are angry as hell. Literally. You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, Jesus says, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. You've been working backwards, but I think you're beginning to see the picture. We're called to be agents of, of reconciliation because our relationships are broken, and our relationships are broken because our hearts have been poisoned with anger. We carry around clenched fists so much and for so long we don't even recognize it. I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. Now, y'all, it, it is important to be clear about the language here that Jesus is using. The word anger that Jesus is using here is not annoyance. It's not irritation. It's, it's not kicking the door when it slams your finger. Now, we're talking about fury. We're talking about being enraged. You look more closely, the word that is used here to describe what Jesus is talking about is actually of a plant, it's organic in nature, of a plant that is so swollen with its own juices, it's ready to burst. That's the force of the anger that Jesus is describing here. Are you still with me? Jesus is describing a slippery slope of hurt 
anger leads to hurt. And hurt leads to broken relationships. And those kind of broken relationships only bear more pain and increase the hurt and violence and separation. Y'all, I know what Paul says to Timothy, that the root of all evil is the love of money. We've preached this for, for time immemorial. I'm going to take issue with it. Because what Jesus is saying here is that anger, brothers and sisters, is at the root of the horror that we make for one another. Actually, let me rephrase that. Unchecked anger is at the root of all the horror we make for one another. Yeah, I'm going to qualify that because we find in the Bible that anger in and of itself is not a sin. Paul says it to the church at Ephesus, in your anger, do not sin. Now, God gets angry in the Bible a lot. And God's people and his prophets, they get angry frequently. Jesus gets angry. So you're wondering about your own anger. You're wondering if it is justifiable and righteous as God's anger is. Well, let's put it to the test. If in your anger you find that it prompts acts of justice, of loving kindness, and bears fruit that looks like Christ, then the anger that you have is a force for good and looks like God's anger at injustice and is righteous. But I suspect that if you are anything like me, that the anger that most of us experience is rooted in hate and yields destruction. Clenched fists that want to punch and pound and hurt. Anger is fire. And yes, fire has its purposes but unchecked, out of control, fire and anger simply consumes us and everything around us. So it's my contention, brothers and sisters, that anger is a gateway sin. It is that which causes us to spiral and to hurt and to perpetuate a cycle of pain it just brings about shadow and abomination in our world. You've probably come across this. It's a quote. I sat with my anger long enough until she told me that her real name was grief. I sat with my anger long enough until she told me that her real name was Grief. You know, the season that we find ourselves in has created a climate where none of us are our best selves. And much of that is because we are grieving. We're angry because we are grieving that which we have lost or are losing. I see your grief. 
And I see your anger. I see it and I hear it in the posts that you put on social media. And I see and I hear your anger and your grief that you continue in the forwards of your social media. I sense your anger and your grief in the rage that I sense in your lives, in your failing health, in your strained and broken relationships with your family, with your coworkers, with people that you once knew as your friends. Y'all, you're not alone. I'm grieving. I'm angry. I grieve what we have lost, what no longer exists. I'm forlorn and grieving that we're so consumed with hate for one another. I'm angry for a climate that feels so unchristlike and tribal that we would put so many other things before our allegiance to Christ Jesus. And y'all, if, if we are left to just smolder, this anger that we feel will lead to name-calling and blaming and runaway conflict, hurt and greater pain. Y'all, it's gotten so bad, we're angry at other people for being angry. What kind of sense does that make? Jesus commands us to be peacemakers so that the cycle of hurt will end. A few minutes ago, I reread the passage that Dr. Bob read from Ephesus. It's familiar. In your anger, do not sin. But listen to what it sounds like if you swap out the word anger for grief. In your grief, do not sin. And do not make room for the devil. Y'all. This unchecked anger and this grief that becomes poisonous and toxic, it is the place where the devil does his best work. I'm not speculating here, y'all. I'm preaching. Anger makes room for the devil. And so that I'm clear, I don't think that denying our anger is the answer. I've tried. Anger that just sits is a cancer and it spreads and it metastasizes and it affects everything, doesn't it? So my question as our time winds down is this. How can our anger be transformed so that anger does not lead to sin? Because it's just not going to go away on its own. How can our anger be transformed to something else? And I got to confess, I don't know. I don't. I don't have an answer here. I know the question, how can our anger be transformed for good so that it looks like Christ-like energy? I want to know the answer to that. I don't know it. But dear Lord, we've got to hold that question. 
But this is what I do know. Y'all, if left unchecked, our anger will kill our bodies. It will kill our relationships, and it will kill others. And if you don't believe me, just open up your device and look at your news feed. We don't think it can get any worse. I've got news for you. History suggests otherwise. God directs us to keep our anger in check. I know that. I can preach that. Paul tells the church in Colossae, you got to get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. And y'all, we've got to stop championing those who are imitating these vices. This is not of Christ. And if we find ourselves delighting in these sources of malice and hate and wrath, of slander, of abusive language, we've got to have a talk with Jesus. And why should we rid ourselves of these things? Because these things are acts of violence. So what can we possibly do to address our unchecked anger? I don't know the answer, but I'm going to spitball for just a moment. The first thing I do believe that we can do and should do to address the anger that we feel is we've got to start praying for our enemies. And you know who your enemies are. You do. They are the ones that are the sources of your anger because you feel as though they have taken something from you. So let me invite us to pray for our enemies and to love those who might wish to persecute us. Not because it's good politics, not because it's good business, but because the Lord that we follow commands it. Say it, y'all, we've got to practice Sabbath from sources of rage. We've got to create some distance from that which is making our blood boil. I know it's like candy. It's like we can't get enough. Because the way in which we're wired is toward conflict. Jesus knows this, which is why he's trying desperately to get us rewired here. So unplug. Break away from the media source that just fuels your anger. Recognize that that which we're spending so much of our time on and being exposed to are the sources that are delighting in our being angry and outraged. And lastly, I think we should seek to be distracted by God's word. By being immersed in God's word and in God's presence. In other words, y'all, I think we've got to be church. I know. So I'm just going to say it. Being a part of church right now feels 
irrelevant and unnecessary, doesn't it? I know it and you know it. Church is something we used to do. Being a part of the body of Christ is a 20th century thing. You know, our resistance to being the body of Christ is part of the sickness. We're all exhausted by what we're dealing with. We are all depressed by what we see and what this feels like. We're fatigued by the weight we're carrying and the uncertainties we face. We are angry. So let's acknowledge it. And let's recognize that it's only Jesus that can change us, which means that we've got to make every effort to walk more closely with Christ. There was a woman from Nigeria who came across a young lady with a, a beautiful name, Melodic. She didn't know what it meant, though, and she asked the young lady, Tell me about your name. It's beautiful. What does it mean? And the young lady said, my name means child who takes the anger away. The woman said, that's what your name means? Child who takes the anger away? How did you get that name? She said, when my parents married, it was against the wishes of both of their sets of parents. And it created an estrangement that lasted years. Because their children decided to marry, their parents and families did not want to have anything to do with them anymore until they had me. When I was born, my grandparents wanted to hold me. And she was the one that brought them all together, which is why they gave me the name Child Who Takes the Anger Away. <laughs> this is a good news, y'all. It's Jesus who is the one who takes the anger away. And it's only Jesus that will stop this cycle of hate, of anger, and hurt. Let us pray. O oh, Jesus, who is the one who takes the anger away, work in our hearts and our minds, because we have such violence and hurt in our own hearts. God, enable us to have a reckoning with you because you're the only thing that can change us. And we're made for this moment. We are made to be the church, to pray for our enemies, to love boldly, to seek reconciliation. Be at work in us now, Father. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you in these next few moments, to sit with Christ. Listen to what he is saying to you.
If it is to follow him more closely and more nearly, I will be down front and will be glad to hear your response. Otherwise, sit with Jesus. Listen to his words. With few exceptions, we've never lived in such a time as this, with the challenges that we face today. These challenges could have fallen to many other people at many other times in human history, but it's fallen upon us. Jesus says we're up to the challenge. In these same words, he reminds us that even in our brokenness, especially because of our brokenness, That God's light in Christ Jesus shines through us, shining light in darkness. We're salt and that we're light to a world that is so dark that God wishes to transform, to change and to save it. It's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require letting go. And that's why we choose to be church together because the work is hard. And by ourselves, we're going to get picked off by the deceiver, by the one who wishes to seek and to destroy. Together, however, we are a cord that cannot be easily broken. So we're going to provide opportunities, of course, for us to practice being that faith community. Next Sunday, we're going to gather together to celebrate the ordinance of baptism, the symbol of beginning new in Christ Jesus. Morgan and Lucy and Cadence, they will be starting new. And in us observing and bearing witness to their baptism, we ourselves will also be reminded that each day that we have been given the gift of life, We are called to die to ourselves and to be raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus. This is good stuff, and we want you to be a part of it. You'll see online, in the emails that you receive, and even on the back, that we are going to continue the practice of gathering. Oh, I know, it's it's unusual and strange. Um, We found out last week being in the back underneath the covered walkway works. We've got tables set up. Yes, we might wish for a cloud to be um, better positioned so that some of us are not staring into the sun. So bring your sunglasses and a cap, but choose to join us. Bring some takeout food. We're calling it um, Love Your Neighbor Takeout. We love our neighbor by investing in our restaurant neighbors, bringing food together. And at 6 o'clock, we'll have a time of prayer and a Bible lesson as we look more closely at Paul's 
letter to the church in, um, in Philippi. This is good stuff. We want to be church with you. Let me invite you to stand. You know, it's hard to move after you've been sitting for a while. It was hard to re-engage when we were locked down. It's hard when our fists are clenched to open them back up. Some of your hands, I bet, are still hurting. Or you can still feel that sensation. It takes time, right? Being part of the church means moving our hands, opening them and closing them so that we can accept what God has given us so that we can extend it to others. In just a moment is going to be our first opportunity today to practice that. That is to go outside, to sing a song together outdoors. And you've probably noticed that when we've done this, people on the sidewalks turn, they look, they listen, they observe. Y'all, in doing so, we are bearing testimony to the good work that God is doing us so that others can see our good work and our good words and give glory to God in heaven. Now to our God, who by the power of work within us is able to accomplish abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. To God be the glory in the church and to Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And let us be dismissed to sing and to fellowship together.